the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour, 5 p.m., as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. And welcome back to Lifeline. Craig Roberts, along with our very special guest today, we are delighted, as always, to have New York Times best-selling author Frank Peretti join us on the program. This time around, we're talking about Frank's latest book, just newly released. You'll find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area. You can also order it, of course, online. Recently made its way right up to the New York Times bestseller list, as we would have anticipated from Frank, the new book entitled Illusion. Interesting in this novel, as we were mentioning before the break, Frank, because you, you, you draw in a great deal of magic into the book, and so there's that sense of escapism, and yet some of the, some of the strong realities that we have have to deal with in life. And, and in that regard, uh, very much like your previous best-selling novels where you've warned us of some of the, the realities that we face, particularly as believers, whether we're dealing with the reality of the danger of, of, of the spread of new ageism in our society today or just the reality of the, the spiritual warfare, the spiritual minefield that we find ourselves in. Oh, yeah. Uh, every book I've written, it you can almost trace where I've been in my walk with the Lord and the things that have concerns me that I felt I should write about. Uh, just check the books like the Darkness books, This Present Darkness and Piercing the Darkness. The whole word directly about spiritual warfare, addressing the encroachment of neo-pagan urban culture and how demonic and you know demonic spirits and their influence can be a reality. When I wrote The Visitation, I was writing about our our questions, our doubts, our struggles with our faith that happen sometimes, and how we kind of want to have a Jesus of our own making who gives us what we want instead of making us take our vitamins and finish our dinner, <laughs> so to speak. Um, yeah, I, I wrote, I, in this book, Illusion, I just wanted to write about the beauty of marriage and how God gave us marriage and, and a beautiful wife as such a wonderful symbolism of Jesus and his church. Um, it's a beautiful pattern. You mentioned earlier about a number of your films, Frank, that have made it to the big screen. I think of The Visitation, which was adapted for film back in 2006. Others as well. Uh, kind of a, a passion of yours, as I recall. I think I read somewhere that you had studied film and screenwriting at UCLA. This new book, it sounds like it's got tremendous potential to make it to the big screen and, and with a great degree of excitement, given um, all of the wonderful uh, magic that uh, takes place throughout the pages of Illusion. Well, this book would make an absolutely tremendous movie because it has all the right ingredients. It has adventure. It has a deep and wonderful, very meaningful romance in it. It'd be a great movie. It'd be a good movie for the family, too. It's, uh, 
a good feel-good story. This is, you know, obviously a great reward for many authors to see their um, books eventually make it to the big screen, even though there's sometimes frustration in the in the way in which things kind of lose something in the translation. For you, was this a passion from the very beginning? In other words, even when you sat down and wrote some of your early big bestsellers like this Present Darkness and, and Piercing the Darkness to go back a better part of 20 years, was there an idea even behind uh, those books at the time that you'd hoped that they would make it to the big screen? And that, that dream kind of stayed with me even into my adult years. And so that was the way I was going. But, of course, that is such a very, very difficult and complicated business. God, in his divine plan, decided that uh, I should just be a novelist. And so that's what I'm doing today. Uh, well, it's a lot cheaper. <laughs> And, of course, along the way, you, you get the pleasure once in a while of seeing one of your works to, in fact, to make it to the big screen. Now, when you are not busy uh, writing or adapting your books for the big screen, uh, do you still fiddle around with the banjo? I understand at one time you used to play uh, a pretty mean banjo in a bluegrass group. Well, I sure did. I played in a group called Northern Cross, and we were a band for nine and a half years. And Yeah, I played the banjo, and... Uh, well, I don't know. I listened to our CD, and I guess I was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> now, does, does Barbara still let you uh, break the banjo out once in a while and do that? Can you play it around the house okay? Oh, yeah, yeah. I was just, I had it up this morning, as a matter of fact. I was trying to get back into shape again. I have another little gig coming up where I have to play, and so, man, I got to get it out of mothballs and get my fingers going again. So, that was a lot of fun getting that out. That's fun. That, that's good. You know, it gives you a nice uh, nice break, too, from uh, from the writing and, and something that you obviously have a joy and passion for. Uh, you are um, kind of a native to the Pacific Northwest, as I recall, and you're still living up in Idaho, aren't you? Yeah, I'm up in the Idaho Panhandle. Um, if you have any idea, you can see Cord Lane or Kellogg on the map. I'm up in that neck of the woods. Nice part of the country, and, uh, you know, you're not too far away from the action if you want it, and yet a uh, great way to get away in God's country and, and uh, be amongst the, uh, the tall ones, as they say. Oh, yeah, well, it's real pretty right now. We're finally getting into springtime, and, uh, boy, I can look out my window here and see snow-capped mountains, and then there's forest, and there's a river down below the house that's running real high now because the snow's melting. So. That's, a, that's a great inspiration, isn't it, for a writer, to have that kind of a, an environment in which to, to uh, be able to sit down and kind of uh, commune with God and nature and then uh, let the creative juices flow, isn't it? Well, there's such a wonderful feeling of serenity here, and just to walk out and hear the birds singing, and right now the, the blossoms are bursting out, and ooh, man, they're pretty. So it's a continual show out there. The Lord's always doing something. What's, um, what's anything in the works coming up now that you've got this one to press and already uh, made it to the New York Times bestseller list? Uh, do authors uh, think that far ahead? Uh, what do you look for when you say, okay, time to sit down and start putting another one down on paper? Well, what I do, what I'm doing right now is I'm just doing a lot of listening and thinking and praying and sorting things out. I'm exploring the church and its history and where it is now and where it's going. And I have some questions I'd like to grapple with and try to figure out. And I, I, I try to discern the mind of God in terms of what he wants me to write about. So it's not just it's not just necessarily spontaneous whatever hits the top of your mind. I mean, in the end, there is a theme here in the sense that you want your readers to walk away both having been entertained and hopefully to get them to ask a lot of the right questions in, in, in the realm toward where the Lord would want us to be thinking. 
Yeah, that's right. I, I view myself as, uh, I guess I'm a builder and an equipper. I try to feed and equip and build the body of Christ and just keep them thinking, keep them growing. And I do that through stories, just the way Jesus did. Yeah, good example, and, and and obviously a wonderful way to illustrate because it, it takes us into a realm that we can all either escape to or relate to, and at the very least put us into that place where we start thinking and praying um, and, and hopefully really being earnest about uh, seeking after God. In the end, Frank, for those that are going to go run out and pick up a copy of your new book, Illusion, what do you hope that they take away from this particular book? Well, I think it's best said that there's a guy wrote to me on Facebook, and he read the book, and he was married to his wife for 31 years. Well, he still is. <laughs> but he said, you know, I already enjoyed your book. And he, he named his wife, and she, her name is Tammy. And he said, you know, your book helped me to really appreciate my wife all the more. And I thought to myself, well, now there's somebody who really got the point of this book. <laughs> so is there, a, is there a big part of you and Barbara in this book? I mean, is there a lot of inspiration taken from your own relationship inside the pages of Illusion? Most certainly. I mean, we don't have the same story as Dave and Mandy do, but the emotions, the love, the uh, devotion is still there. And there are a few little snapshots of bargain there that I borrowed from our real life. I gave those to Mandy. So... Yeah, I, I drew upon our relationship and my own feelings uh, and my own reflections of my love for her when I wrote this book. Does she get a, a chance to see that? In other words, before you say, okay, honey, I'm, I'm sending the manuscript off, does she get a chance to set eyes to that so she can kind of pass, to, pass the official approval? <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's the first one who gets a chance to read it. Actually, I read it to her as we're lying in bed there before we turn the lights off. If I've got a new chapter, I'll, I'll read it to her. And, uh, <laughs> is there a sense, Frank, uh, that as you do so, if Barbara gives thumbs up, you know that you're heading in the right direction? Oh, yeah, yeah. And there's times when she'll say, uh, she'll say if she doesn't get something or something went by her, then that helps me to fix it, too, and make sure that it works. And especially, you know, especially when one of my characters is a woman. Um, it's very helpful for me, a guy, to have a woman reading and hearing this to help me uh, stand track as to how a woman deals with problems in life and how she thinks and what's important to her. Absolutely. And, and then what yeah. a great way to not only celebrate your own relationship, but then, as you say, when somebody is uh, emailing you or writing you to say, gee, Frank, the new book really helped me in my marriage relationship, uh, what a delightful outcome. I know that in the end it's got to be the heart's desire of every novelist like yourself, not only to entertain people, but to challenge them, and if somebody can grow and learn from a, a book like Illusion, even more so than it worth all the effort. Exactly. Yeah, I I need to know that I'm making a difference out there. So it means a lot when people write or they come up to me and, and tell me what how the books have touched their lives. That's what makes the whole business worthwhile. That's what keeps me doing it. And clearly for all the millions that have gone out and picked up copies of your books down through the years, uh, Frank, you're making a difference and you're bringing a great deal of joy to all of us. And uh, no doubt readers of the new book will feel the same. Already on the New York Times bestseller list, the book Illusion, its author, our guest on this edition of Lifeline, Frank Peretti. Frank, as always, a delight to have you on the show. Thanks for dropping by to visit. My privilege and an honor, too. Thank you very much. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 
On today's program, a conversation with a pastor that's been involved in ministry here in the San Francisco Bay Area, my goodness, uh, some 20-something years. He is Pastor Jason Fry, Senior Pastor of Calvary of San Mateo. Pastor Fry, great to have you with us today. Awesome. Thank you so much. Great to be on. Appreciate so it. tell us a bit about your your journey. I mentioned that you've been involved with Calvary, my goodness, 20-something years. Did I get that right? Yeah. So we moved out here in 2004, my wife and I, to do youth ministry. And, uh, you know, we were, I came to faith as a, you know, like a senior in high school around that time. And, you know, God just really got a hold of me, gave me deep convictions, you know, gave me really the desire to serve him. And then, you know, after getting married um, to my high school sweetheart, pretty much, <laughs> we we moved out here in 04 to serve and uh, to do youth ministry. So came out here, um, not any full-time spot at the church, not a paid position at all. And we, we just came out here as a step of faith to serve and I had visited a buddy that had moved out here and saw a lot of need. I moved from Calvary, Albuquerque, so I was going to Calvary, um, Calvary in Albuquerque there, and so I moved from Albuquerque, New Mexico, and you know just saw a lot of need here for the gospel, for strong churches, for strong believers. Um, you know, obviously, it's a a beautiful part of the nation. It's an influential part of the world, and you know, God just kind of stirred my heart. And so we moved out here, and uh, I've been bivocational uh, the whole time, and so um, still bivocational actually. But uh, you know, God is good; He's He's been gracious; He's He's provided; He's done a, a great work. Allowed us to serve, you know. Allowed my my wife to you know raise our three kids um, uh, that we've had out here, and so uh, yeah, I've been serving at, at Calvary San Mateo since 2004, so almost 20 years. Uh, here uh, was serving at Calvary Albuquerque before that. So yeah, over 20 years serving within Calvary Chapel. And um, yeah, that's. And you had been in the position, as you mentioned, uh, in, in youth ministry, both in Albuquerque as well as initially coming to the peninsula. What was yeah. that transition into becoming senior pastor like for you? <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was interesting. There was many years as a youth pastor where, uh, a buddy, uh, my friend Jeff York, uh, you know, we would serve together in youth ministry and neither one of us had any desire to do, um, you know, a, a adult ministry. We, we loved doing youth ministry. Uh, we would joke about, you know, a lot of felt like a lot of youth pastors would use youth ministry as a stepping stone into, quote unquote, real ministry. And, uh, you know, I saw real ministry as as youth ministry. I mean, the impact you can have that time of life. That's when God got a hold of me. I mean. Uh, just the whole thing. It's a lot of fun. You know, it's challenging. There's there's all that aspect to it. So I love I loved youth ministry. I still love youth ministry. It's got a, a huge part of my heart. It's a, a huge part of our church. You know, God's raised up leaders that are just awesome in that area and, and really grown our youth over the last few years. Um, so I love to see what's going on there. I love to have my finger on the pulse of of youth ministry. And so God gave a piece, though. Um, when the previous senior pastor, Dino Ashiki, felt called to, to move on, to move back to Hawaii um, and to take an assistant pastor role and, and just a, a, a change of season for him. You know, he talked to me about 
uh, becoming the the lead pastor, the senior pastor pastor at Calvary San Mateo, and um, you know I felt a peace from it as I prayed about it uh, that. You know, the Lord wanted to have a strong church. Um, you know, if hey, if you love youth ministry so much, why don't you have a church that uh, helps disciple the youth? Why don't you have a, a strong church where youth feel welcome? But you know what? Everyone feels welcome uh, from all ages. And, you know, um, I had somebody, you know, years ago at a, at a conference, uh, I did a live painting at this conference. And I remember the, the, the night before, um, you know, and, and people have different views uh, on on these types of things, but um, and, and I'm open to them. Obviously, test them against what the word says and hold fast to that, which is good. But you know, someone prophesied over me, and uh, you know, it was a conference with a a bunch of different denominations. You know, <laughs> and so, uh, but someone prophesied over me. I held it with an open hand, and they talked about uh, they felt that God was saying, you know, you're going to unite the old and the young. You know, God's going to use you to to do that, and so you know, I that resonated with with my soul. It resonated with what I wanted to see God do. Uh, it came out of uh, seemingly nowhere. I didn't know this person, um, you know. So it, it sounded like something the Lord would say, and so I, I've held that you know uh, close and you know yeah with an open hand. And God seems to to be doing that, and I'm just you know very thankful to to be able to see that happening. Um, and so God gave a piece to transition from youth ministry uh, to the senior pastor. Um, I had known a lot of the people for a while. Um, it was a, a fairly seamless transition. I don't think we really lost anybody at the time um, when the transition took place. You know, the, the leadership that was leaving was currently was, was totally behind it. Uh, so it was it was a good transition. There's been some challenges uh, with it, of course, um, but it's um you know, from what I've read, and I've I've read, I read a lot about transitional takeovers and various things, and you know, you know one sound piece of advice that um, someone had had shared. I remember at the time that they said, "Run." <laughs> if, if if you're thinking about transitioning, you know, from youth pastor to senior pastor, run. <laughs> you know, I thought that was kind of funny, but uh, it helped it helped weigh it down with the reality of of you know that move um, and what what I was gonna be taking on uh, but god's been so good and um yeah i gave gave a strong piece about it so you yeah. use the term um, that oftentimes pastors will see youth ministry as sort of just a stepping stone into <laughs> the 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 pulpit as the main guy etc cetera, etc cetera. and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that per se right. Right. but i'm wondering if maybe from what you're delineating pastor fry that that it should be more not seeing the young people or youth ministry as stepping stones but rather as building blocks mm. and i and i raise that question because yeah. uh, let's face it you know not only are there multiple mandates throughout scripture in terms of discipleship and mentoring and the, the old women to teach the younger women and, and so on yeah. and so forth. And, and, and the, the sense of value of mm-hmm. experience and how that experience can help guide younger generations who ultimately right. will someday be in our seats. And I have to wonder if, as we look at the world around us today with a sense of frustration, perhaps, as to what's going on morally, socially, even politically, not just in our own nation, but across the globe, if there have been times that there has been failure in that arena, meaning that older generations did not quite engage in the level of discipleship and even due diligence, I'll call it, when it comes to training and and mentoring and guiding younger people, failing right. to recognize that 
the youth of today, when we get to be in our 80s, they're going to be the next generation of leaders that will be calling the shots in Washington, D.C. and in Sacramento. And we will have to live under the laws that they pass. And so if we're not really understanding the value, the importance of what real dynamic youth ministry is about and and bridging those gaps, so to speak, Mm. I think ultimately we wind up reaping what we failed to sow, do we not? Yeah, amen. I mean, that's a a great point, just that discipleship. So I've changed my view a lot on, on how to do youth ministry, even when I was still youth pastor. I mean, at the beginning, it was the youth group was growing. There was great things happening, but it was like a, its own separate church within our church. And I found that, I, you know, early on, I was like, oh, this is cool. Like we're the we're hip and happening and there's all this going on. And then you got, uh, you know, you got the the Ancient of Days service going on. And I, you know, I saw the failure in that fairly early on because kids would graduate and they would go to the main service and they would say, um, but I don't really know anybody here. You know, we, we would get a lot of kids. Maybe their parents weren't coming or, um, you know, we, the, the youth ministry would attract kids um, and their families weren't going to church or something. Or sometimes it would bring their families, which would be great. But it was just a, a completely different feel, a different church. They didn't have a lot of unity relationships with anybody there. And so they would want to come back and sit in youth. And it was like, no, you got to. OK, if you stack chairs, you know, then we'll allow you back in for for a little bit. Or if you start serving and I, I saw this as a huge problem early on that there was no integration. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it goes back, you know, sometimes, you know, even if the the uh, family goes to church together or if the mom and dad are believers, you know, the intentional discipling of their children might not be happening or that might be offloaded to the youth ministry to do that, you know, one day a week or two days a week or however often they're meeting. But, um, you know, we really started to want to have a culture of of the youth being part of the church. Yeah, that we have, you know, a youth night and there's things specific to them for their age group to bring in their friends. But, you know, we'll often have youth Sundays. We'll often have them do worship. We'll often, our youth now sit in on Sundays, you know, together with us. You know, we always used to break off as much as we could. And, you know, there's a strong emphasis. Um, you know, our youth leadership now makes, does a very good job at encouraging the parents, letting them know that they are the ones um, to disciple their their children in the Lord and that we're just there to support them. You know, where there's support, uh, what the discipleship they want to, they need to do as a family. Um, you know, of course, I've seen many as well, you know, grow up, get out of youth, go to college, various things, walk away from the faith. Uh, you know, I've had uh, so many debates with some, you know, on social media that have gone different places and, and, you know, drifted away from the faith. And, you know, I thank God for the relationship we still have. and We can still talk through a lot of these issues. I know youth ministry was a special time for them, but I, I can see a lot of the areas where we failed to, to equip them properly. And so we've tried to adjust that. We've tried to give them, um, you know, just a, a more solid understanding of, of scripture. It's not just about having fun and having good relationships with people your age that are believers, that's awesome. Uh, but for them to know the Lord, for them to understand the scriptures, for them to ask all their questions while they're in youth ministry, like don't hold any questions uh, down in your heart. You know, don't let the enemy get a foothold on any doubts you might have. Like be open with those. Let's talk about those. 
you know, I've struggled, you know, there was times, seasons that I went through where I struggled immensely with doubt, you know, and was just researching so much, you know, because I got involved in ministry pretty young. I got married pretty young. Coming to Christ was more of an experiential thing for me than than really, um, you know, like a rigorous intellectual exercise. So there was things that hit me at waves as I started, you know, giving my life and, and following God with, with, you know, my whole life and all my plans. You know, there's waves of things I would hear arguments, I would see this, and I would be like, wait a second, is this true? Can I really trust the Bible here? Can I, you know, and and I didn't have a huge background. You know, I did go to Bible college uh, for a semester, you know, is the, the inside joke for anyone that hears me say I went to Bible college. Um, but, you know, so I, but I've spent so much time studying, I've, I've taken you know, now courses online, you know, directly with Gary Habermas and other people and Mike Lacona. And, you know, so I've, I've really tried to invest in like more of a, a formal education on learning these things over, you know, this 20 years and just rigorous study each week, of course. But I've come to find that, you know, the the how solid the historic Christian faith is, the answers that it gives you know, the, the C.S. Lewis quote I love so much, who, you know, Andy mentioned is on our, our apologetics website. Um, you know, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen, not only because I can see it in the sky, but by it, I see everything else. And and that has really settled upon me through all my study of it just answers the questions, uh, all the questions of life so beautifully and, and redemptively. Um, you know, there's uh, a, a, a guy I've, I've come to know. At fellowships with us, and uh, you know, awesome guy, and um, he had shared something to, to me at one point that uh, he said, you know, very very highly educated, very very successful, you know, Bay Area guy, and and he said, you know, um, I had said something in a sermon where you know I struggled with with something, but um, you know that I, I can't edit the truth. You know, the word of God is is true, and I have to trust that even at times where it might not initially make sense to me because it always pans out, and and that resonated with him, and he he had said that he is. Uh, He's a reluctant Christian, which I thought was an interesting phrase, but I, I could relate to that, you know, where it's like it, it it's true. You may not want it to be true in a certain area or in a certain um, you know aspect, but um, you look at the world, you look at how it explains everything and there's nothing else. There's nothing else that that undergirds truth. Um, like Christianity, there's nothing that explains truth, that illuminates truth, and then all the the love, hope, justice, all these things that we wrestle with in this life. There's nothing that um, tells that story like Christianity. So uh, I thought that was very, very honest. Uh, but you know, I, I resonated with that. Our conversation today with Pastor Jason Fry, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of San Mateo. We'll take a brief time out. We'll come back to more of our conversation in just a moment. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back. If you've just joined us today, we're visiting with the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel of San Mateo, Pastor Jason Fry. Pastor Fry, let's return out of our discussion. I think that sense of, of of questioning is actually healthy. You know, oftentimes we sort of want to to press down on that. We feel as if, well, if a young person's asking too many questions, it might sow seeds of doubt. It may cause them to start exploring into, you know, uh, other religions, other philosophies, things of this sort, and kind of pull them down a, a rabbit hole or a wormhole that they'll never climb out of. And so better leave mm-hmm. some questions unasked. 
I think, however, Scripture is just the opposite. It says that if any man lack wisdom, let him ask for it. Yeah. That we're to try the spirits or test the spirits, see if they be of God, and prove him. Yeah. And I think that the, the abundance of answers to the questions that we seek are, are found in Scripture, and it's a healthy thing to raise questions. Now, mm-hmm. should we do it in a challenging way, as the enemy did in, in, in the garden? <laughs> Hath God said, you know, in a, in a mocking fashion? No, that's probably not not very healthy, but I but I think a good solid curiosity as mm-hmm. to what certain passages mean, and and not only looking at scripture, but then the the complementary archaeology that supports scripture and history that supports scripture. There there, there, there is so much extra biblical evidence that proves the veracity of the biblical evidence. And if we are to be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within, I think it's healthy that we ask those kinds of questions in the right kind of environment. And and that's where things like, you know, solid Bible teaching, Bible study, true discipleship, all of those things come into play. So if you're afraid to ask the question, maybe you're in an environment that's not really eager or prepared to give the answer. And so... I think at the end of the day, that can be a healthy part of our of our um, experience and relationship with God. You mentioned something else, too, that I think was important. You know, so often, um, Pastor Fry, we have a built-in generational gap. Mm. That's differences in tastes in music and entertainment. Certainly, technology has mm-hmm. gone a long way towards, in some fashions, bridging that gap. In other fashions, pulling us even further apart. And so the notion of doing all that we can actively to bring the generations together and the benefits that come as younger people learn from older people, not just the fuddy-duddies out there, but the people who have, you know, who have driven down life's road, have got the speeding tickets and the flat tires to prove it, and can share a thing or two with younger generations, hopefully to make the road ahead for them a little bit smoother, hopefully that they can learn from our mistakes, and, and that sense of true mentorship in preparing future generations for life and work and ministry and all that comes together. I think it's critically important, and I always wondered when churches dismiss the young people to go off into a separate service, I thought, well, why, why are we creating two churches here? Why, why are we essentially helping right. to underscore the generational gap instead of doing everything that we can to bring those generations together for the mutual benefit of both the young and the old. And I, I think your approach is a, is certainly a very refreshing one. And I'm glad you shared a little bit of your heart. Yeah. Amen. Let's yeah, that, that generational gap, um, as you mentioned, is, is important. You see that, you know, it was funny. There was a, one of our elders made a joke when I was taking over and he's, you know, he's a little older and he said, um, you know, we had a little going away thing for our previous pastor. And, and he, he said, uh, you know, Jason, uh, with you taking over, he's like, just imagine if your, your oldest son was becoming the senior pastor, <laughs> you know, how, how you would feel. He's like, that's kind of where I'm at with it. <laughs> and we have a great relationship. He's awesome. And, um, and I, you know, I, I, I love his wisdom. Uh, you know, I've obviously, you know, as I get older, you know, come to see more of the value in, in the wisdom that's there. You know, I think Western culture, one of the, the misses of it, maybe, you know, something we can learn from from Eastern cultures that they really respect their elders, you know, and, you know, Christianity started started in the East, of course. And, um, you know, but it, that's like a modern Western thing, you know, is to 
be so about the young culture, youth culture, and um, you know, really miss out on the wisdom, or even you know, I think there's today where it's like. Um, you, you have the the younger generation almost, you know, discipling the older generation in certain things like, oh, like, you know, we were so wrong about this and that. And it, it's very interesting to see that dynamic where you, you have uh, the wisdom of the older generation not being shared, not many spaces where it's able to be shared to the younger generation. They're just not seeing it. They're not. You know, they're, they're on social media. They're just constantly taking in stuff from a younger perspective. And it's like, when are they, are they sitting down and talking with older folks? Are they getting that wisdom? And so I see the church as a great space to be able to connect those generations and, and have opportunities. I mean, we, we just, you know, re rebooted our, our men's ministry. Um, and, you know, one of the things was, you know, thir- kids 13 and up come, you know, trying to, get them a little younger and bring them into that men's ministry environment where they're able to, you know, hear from their dad in, in the context of other men, they're able to hear from other men within the church. And, um, you know, I, I would love to see God do that more and more. I I know it can be awkward sometimes, you know, and, and all that, but, you know, to, to be able to get that wisdom. And that's something I'm thankful with our church that, um, you know, God's brought a lot of, really awesome men you know uh, at older stages of life uh, that have really come to support the church they've they've become part of the church we've raised up new elders as well um, that are just very seasoned have walked with god their whole life some of them and man that wisdom has been so good knowing like they could be my pastor and maybe in some sense should be but you know, God's put me here to kind of span the generations and, and I lean on them for a lot of wisdom and have them share and teach from the pulpit. And, and as, as much as possible, you know, we have a family worship Sunday. We have all the kids in there, everything. And one of our older elders shares and, you know, he's 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 really good. And, and you know, he can also really resonate with the, the children that are in there. And so it's very cool to see God doing that. I mean, it those Sundays for me, especially those, those family Sundays have are just a special, a special time. Uh, you know, you hear kids, there's, you know, things going on, but you know, it's, it, it, it's not distracting. It's more become endearing and like, just, this is who we are. This is us, you know? And, and I, I know it's been a blessing to a lot of the families in the church. Um, and, you know, we do make, you know, other, of course, other times, you know, especially the kids, you know, they, they do their own thing, but, you know, having the, Pulling in the youth as much as possible, giving them an opportunity to hear from their elders, to hear from those who are older, to, to lessen that generational gap. Um, in my preaching as well, you know, I I have three boys, and you know, I I, I get you know I'm, most of my information from from YouTube or Twitter, you know, so I'm I'm online a lot. I, I see a lot of memes. You know, we share stuff all the time. So I'm I'm. In that youth culture somewhat, I, I get that. I have three boys. I'm with them in that. But also, you know, I, I after a message one time, I had one of the older folks come up and they're like, man, you, you, you're like an old soul as well because you'll quote like Elvis Presley or you'll, you'll, you'll throw out something that is even not really my time, but something that I've heard or been blessed by or Righteous Brothers. You know, I, I, I love their music. And so I'll, I'll truly, it's, it's, forefront for me to try and connect 
everyone that's there, you know, to, to, to speak and focus on youth culture stuff, uh, stats, various things that are going on. And then to also bring in, um, you know, some of the, the stuff that older generations went through. And, well, and, and I think that's through. important, too, because there's not only that sense of, of generational connectivity that that can give um, an advantage, advantage of the wisdom of the older generation that have been there, done that, and not only right. bought the T-shirt, but probably even printed it at one point. Uh, right. But but additionally, too, I think that sometimes young people, they fail to recognize it's almost as if all of this suddenly popped out of the sky. And, <laughs> and there's there's no sense that they have that, yes, they can have an engaging conversation about how bright and clever Steve Jobs was or how much they love the work of what Mark Zuckerberg has done. But, you know, as, as someone yourself who, who um, lives and resides in the Silicon Valley world, uh, if it wasn't for names like Bill Hewlett and David Packard, people of that sort, whose names are not necessarily called very often today, but were the Steve Jobs and Wozniaks of the 19, late 40s and 1950s, upon which generationally this technology has been built, I think we do ourselves a great disservice if we don't recognize and in many ways celebrate that sense of connectivity that each subsequent generation is 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 enjoying the fruit of the labor of the previous generation and i think that connectivity is not only important from a historical standpoint but also from the standpoint of the church because when you look at scripture there is no delineation there's one body of christ Yep. And so sometimes, as I say, we, we will create these false economies thinking we're doing a good thing, thinking we're making ourselves more relatable and better targeting our audiences. And in some ways that's true. And in other ways, we're actually doing more to tear the church apart than bring the church together. Our conversation today with Pastor Jason Fry, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of San Mateo. We'll take a brief time out. We'll come back to more of our conversation in just a moment. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back. If you've just joined us today, we're visiting with the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel of San Mateo, Pastor Jason Fry. Pastor Fry, I want to pick things up where we left off just a moment ago. Let's talk a bit about pastoring a church in the Silicon Valley and those kinds of challenges, because that's, let's face it, here in the San Francisco Bay Area, um, we've got a lot of challenges. We've got folks that are very intellectual that think they've got all the answers because they've got that degree out of Stanford or, or Cal Berkeley. Uh, others that perhaps have uh, tested the waters and dipped their toes, so to speak, into alternative religions and still others in the Bay Area with, um, well, one section of the population in the entire country that has some of the lowest per capita church attendance in the nation has got to make pastoring a church in the middle of all of that a bit challenging. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we definitely hold it with an open hand. Uh, there's times where it's like, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just hard here. You know, it's very transient. It's very expensive. It's hard to, hard for families, which are typically the core of a church to get their roots down here. Um, you know, it, it, you know, and typically, you know, families that do might not, you know, have, have aligned values or something. So it's, it is difficult, um, but I I do love the challenge. Um, you know, I came from Albuquerque. We have family in you know Colorado, other places, and um, you know, so we travel, we go on vacation, we visit family in areas that are more uh, Christian esque. You know, more of a Christian culture, um, and 
it's awesome. It's great. I love that. Uh, you know, of course, would love to see God do that here. Um, and it's maybe slower paced and everything, but the way God's wired me and, and the desire he's, I think the way he's fitted me for service in his kingdom is to, to be in a place like this. I do love the challenge. I love um, talking with people about faith. You know, if uh, you know, I, I've had a great opportunity to be bivocational this whole time, which, you know, wasn't the, the plan first moving here wasn't to be bivocational for 20 years. Uh, but it's been a huge blessing because not only have I been able to do well and and utilize gifts that, you know, I didn't really know I had um, in that aspect, but just to meet people, uh, you know, I was part of a, of a tech start. So I was I was in the construction industry and and, you know, helping to run a construction company. And then one thing led to another. And I implemented this this software, uh, this construction software. And then construction software became such a hot market in the tech industry and, and venture capitalist funding and all that. And and so I joined the startup and because of my background and, you know, implementing that software in the industry they're trying to sell into and. And so I ended up joining this tech startup and uh, it was just a phenomenal, phenomenal ride. You know, we ended up getting acquired by a bigger tech company. And and that's kind of the ride. A lot of people that uh, especially a lot of young people that move here, that's that's what they're looking for is, you know, they want to they want to find a, a tech startup. You know, they want to do well. They want to build something. Uh, they want to IPO or get acquired or have some type of, of, of an event where the stock becomes real. You know, they want to make a lot of money while they're here. And so it's super interesting that, you know, I did not move here for that. And somehow I got in swept up into that. But for me, I, I see it as God giving me like a test vial of the insight, bottled insight of Bay Area culture, mm-hmm. of Silicon Valley culture. I mean, I talked with people that had never met a real Christian in their life. You know, young professionals from, uh, you know, this is Harvard, NYU, Notre Dame, you know, various Ivy League schools, astute schools. And, and so it was awesome to work with them. Brilliant people uh, loved the interactions we would have, but I would get into conversations about faith. And not only did they have a lot of misconceptions a lot of time, but it was, they were so refreshed to hear a biblical presentation of the gospel and who Jesus was. And I would often introduce people to mere Christianity or different books like that. Say, Hey, here, read the book of Romans, read the book of John. If you want like a primer or something to help, here's mere, yeah, I recommend mere Christianity because that's kind of at the level they were at. That's, you know, a lot of them, they very, very, very smart. And, um, you know, the, um, the, arguments that C.S. Lewis puts together and that I think are just a great primer for a lot of a lot of apologetics and just ways to think about the world and worldviews. Uh, so it was, um, yeah, it's been really interesting to be able to uh, have that insight into Silicon Valley culture. And that's what gives me so much hope is because there's no, there's nothing else. There's no there's no other answers. There's no other hope. You know, Christ uh, wants to he gave his life to save the world and and he's called us here he's placed us here and i see it as a great opportunity and heavenly challenge to be here and to be faithful and and it's great too because with all the money that can be made in the tech world all this stuff and you know what that never got my that never got my soul you know i've seen that i've been like wow i could really go that way but God's given me such a deep conviction. No, you're here to serve me. 
you know, I want to use you. I've given you great insight into the the upper echelons of, of this stuff, but um, he's so I, so he's given me a good picture of the culture here, and it's given me a great burden more and more. Um, I love engaging with people that are, are you know, they're atheist or agnostic. Uh, you know, I, I struggle more if I was in a place where everyone's a Christian and just, you know, it's a big Christian culture, but no one's like a serious Christian. You know, I, I would struggle way more in that. But being here, God's called me here because I love engaging people that might have no faith or little faith or faith in something, but they don't really know what it is. And and engaging that kind of like an Acts 17, you know, Paul in Athens um, you, you know, of, of there's people worshiping a lot around here, you know, but but it's not eternal. It's not filling that eternal void that they have. Well, and so and the, the one beautiful thing about ministry in the Bay Area is the fact that, uh, you know, while there may be struggles and challenges, as we've discussed, uh, there's one thing for sure. And that is it's not short on opportunity. And if right, you want to yeah. know where the mission field is, as I often say, this is probably the one place on the planet where you can travel to the mission field. You don't necessarily need to learn to speak another language. You don't need to go earn your, your separate support and you don't need a passport. Just open your front door. And the mission field is right there at your very feet. Our conversation today with Pastor Jason Fry, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of San Mateo. We'll take a brief time out. We'll come back to more of our conversation in just a moment. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 